Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Um, welcome to Non-Working Title, the working title for the podcast that is about not working. Um, more than just not working, this is a podcast that is about rest. <clears throat> it is about Sabbath. It is about resisting the oppressive, overbearing shadow of late capitalist ethic that asks us to be productive and available at all times that both upholds and is the result of systems of oppression that we all live inside of. This work is very much inspired by the ongoing conversation of Trisha Hersey and the NAP ministry. So go find her, go follow her on Instagram, give her money on Patreon and um, support her. Also, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Also, The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel. Also, After Whiteness by Willie James Jennings. There are a lot of people talking about this in compelling and important ways. And we are just trying to join in the conversation. I have with me today my bestie, Sam, Mantha. Hello. Hey. <laughs> um, can we introduce ourselves? We sure can. My name is Ethan. I use I work with college students and with young adults, which also feels very zeitgeisty that a young adult missioner would have a podcast. It's so <laughs> We're just here to live up to expectations. Um, and something about me that is not about the way that I sell my labor is that I have been on a vegetarianism journey, both because I have OCD hypochondria and I am afraid of cooking meat in my home. And so I have been on a particular journey towards expertise in the preparation of tofu. And I think I have finally nailed it. I have been making the crispiest tofu. Oven baked? And roasted. Roasted. Yes. Like by accident. I did it by accident one time and I was like, I can do this again. Oh no, I make crispy tofu twice a week. It's so good. And here's the secret. I don't press it. I use the like the the high protein like sprouted tofu and you just oil it up, cube it up, oil it up, salt it up, put it on that baking sheet and just let her rip. 450 for like 45 minutes. Mm. So if anybody needs some tofu. My name is Samantha. (laughs) I'm Samantha. And um, I have a very different procedure for roasting tofu. Uh, But we can get into that later. (laughs) I work as a lifelong formation director. So I'm responsible for 
forming Christians from the cradle to the grave in the parish that I work for. Um, when I'm not at work, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a person again, since I've been taking care of tiny babies for the past two years and can see a little bit of light at the end of that tunnel, but I'm not sure what I do in life outside of that. So that's that. I feel like that's been such a perennial question, like how to be a human being. We have, I think we, we have a shared, we have a mutual friend. I'm not going to say their name because I'm not sure if they're actually a mutual friend, but they describe their work in ministry as being a professional human being. Mm. And I kind of love that. That resonates. I know it really reminds me that like you can be very smart and articulate and reverent and all these things, but if you are not relatable to the people with whom you serve or have a kind of understanding of what it feels like to, to struggle with the things that people struggle with. You are hamstrung. Um, Samantha, how rested are you today? I am more rested than I have been in the past three days. Uh, but on a scale of one to 10, I would probably give myself a four. Um, I have two babies under two and we just moved them into our room together and they're learning how to sleep side by side. And so uh, we spent a lot of time up during the past three days between the hours of 1am and 5am. And so kind of operating off of a lack of sleep, which is normal, but is sort of exaggerated because of the transitions that we're making in our household. Three a.m. when you do your best work, though. Three a.m. is when I watch Netflix on silent with clothes, so I don't wake anyone else up. But <laughs> it's the only way I can get through. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I would also have to say that, I don't know, I think, I'm not going to say that I'm a four out of 10 because I don't have two babies in my house. I'm like a four and a half. <laughs> you don't have to have that to be tired. Um, I think for me, the thing that has been happening recently is that last semester I started this new job, um, and had no idea what I was doing the whole time. And so this semester feel a little bit more like confident, like capable in what I'm doing um, and have a little bit more of a, a context or a framework um, for who this community is and how I'm fitting into it, which is great, but it also means that I just have a lot more work to do. Like I don't, I don't have as much like staring at the wall time as I used to. Now it's like, I actually have this whole whiteboard behind me of themes that I'm cooking up, um, which means like meetings and coffees and talking and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I think I just didn't, I've known, but it, I haven't really pushed on it that my extrovert tank is just smaller than it used to be. 
And so, you know, even having like two sort of intensive one-on-one meetings with people just like trains me. And I think my tell, my tell this week has been, I've been a little bit emotionally fragile Mm-hmm. in a way that I'm not normally right like when you're when your body is feeling more fragile then that is reflected in your emotional state and your spiritual state so I've just sort of noticed I've been not quite like cranky just fragile you know like I had a moment earlier this week where I was like I'm horrible at my job and I was mm-hmm. like oh, I don't think that I'm horrible at my job but something some sort of set of circumstances have made it seem plausible that I'm bad at my job. And I, and I just, I knowing myself, I know that one of them is that I'm tired. So I don't know. I've just been trying to find balance this week. Like when your job requires intensive extroversion, I thought it was sustainable. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Um, Samantha and I have had the privilege of working together um, on a number of occasions for some truly iconic behaviors and ministries, specifically that we were youth ministers at the same time in the same place. And our churches would partner on like week-long mission trips, both for middle schoolers and high schoolers, which still, you know, quite a while into like professional ministry, I still just look back on as like, like the coolest stuff that I've done. Um, I peaked, I peaked in those moments. (laughs) (laughs) Like genuinely, my second year of youth ministry on the floor of a parish house, I peaked. It was all Um, downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) We were out there teaching 26th graders Eucharistic theology and now we're just here on this podcast now I just sit in my office and answer emails oh my gosh but I think about those times all the time Mm -hmm. and the thing that was like I don't know just like so unique about them is that we had like one full week of uninterrupted time with these middle schooler with middle schoolers on one trip high schoolers on another trip um with like no phones and so it was this really like special like un- like rare container to do work in time apart yeah and it was just brutal it was like literally working around the clock right like being available for the needs and the challenges and the crises of 20 people round the clock for five days, eight days, 10 days. And it was exhausting. And right. still at the same time as it was, it was exhausting. It was like the funnest thing that we've ever done. Most life giving, energizing work. And I think for me, um, and maybe where we can start is just to name like sometimes the container of ministry that we do actually like deeply, deeply impinges on our ability to to be rested um, at any given moment. Um, and I wonder if you can just talk about those trips for a minute um, and sort of what that felt like. 
feelings. I mean, you show up and you just don't have any private space, even private mental space, really. At least that was my experience. Um, like from the moment that you get in the van to head to the spot where you're going to be doing this work, um, it's community time and it's community oriented time. And so how do you, I mean, it's pretty much impossible to find a moment alone when you're responsible for the well-being of other people and programmatic elements and communicating with people back at home. I mean, it's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. People talk about youth ministry like it's the scariest thing in the world. Some people. Um, and I can sort of look back and be like, no, it's totally great. It was so fun. And then also be like, I can't believe that we did that. Mm-hmm. Like, literally imagine this, <clears throat> like a falling apart parish house next door to a church in downtown Berkeley that has like, like it, it, who knows? It's very old. Oh yeah. Very dusty. And then you just have 20 middle schoolers in it for a week. And every day it's like, we're getting up, we're making them waffles. We're getting on public transportation. We're going across town, across the bay, across the hills. Go to like a particular site to learn something, or to do something, or to, to give a service project, or to engage with people. And you come home, and it's like that horrible two p.m. feeling hits, where everybody sort of like collapses. And then you're playing games all afternoon. You're doing teaching in the evening, and it's like get up and do it again. Get up and do it again. And the high school version is like get on an airplane, fly, get everybody's luggage, get a rental car drive an hour two hours four hours to the site and then like you know get your bearings inside of a catholic church or a non-denominational bunker (laughs) wherever you end up (laughs) and decide like this is the life that we're all living together um for a week but it's also like getting up an hour before everyone else gets up dealing with the other adults' personalities, differences, planning together, mm-hmm. taking care of the emotional needs of every child who's on the trip with you and dealing with their conflict and with their every need, thinking about what you're gonna do next, what you're gonna do after that, what you're gonna do after that, all of the safety precautions of keeping minors safe in an unfamiliar place staying up an hour after everyone else goes to bed so that you can clean up and prepare for the next day. Yeah. And all the while kind of like having to table your own physical and psychological needs mm-hmm. in order to sort of keep the ship going. Um, what do you think for certain personality types? Like to- it totally hits, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a, little, a little Enneagram two with a three wing Oh, line me up. <laughs> like all these people, all these people are in need of me, and there's a way to do a trip well. It's like we're gonna do the trip well, and I'm gonna nail it and like be available for everyone, like respond to everybody's needs, like step in front of other people in line to respond to problems. 
there is something very like exhilarating about it and also like deeply fulfilling um, to have made that container. But it's really hard work. It is. And to have like come back at the end of a trip feeling a little bit like a skeleton thinking like, well, I'm never going to do that again. And then two weeks later, you're back at it with the other <laughs> age group. Right. Yeah. Right. right. With the and it's not even like, at the, you, go, you go become ahead, a skeleton like three quarters of the way through and you're just mm-hmm. an animated skeleton for the last portion of the trip. There is a very clear, like, arc of well-being that you can track through any given week. It's like, day one, we're excited, everybody's kind of nervous, people don't really know how to be with each other, the leaders don't really know how to be with each other. Then at some point, like, halfway through day two, it's like, something cool is happening here. And you're just like, all right, full steam ahead, and you're powering through. And then it's usually like Thursday. <laughs> Thursday is when you're like mixing coffee with other liquids that don't belong with coffee, right? Like there's like the coffee and black tea, there's the coffee and Mountain Dew, there's like just the straight Mountain Dew. You're like, you know, slamming back juice boxes. <laughs> Right. I start the trip like I brought my own healthy snacks. I'm going to go into this, like, take care of myself. I know that I'm going to need these things. And then by the third day, I'm like eating fruit roll ups. Garbage. Yeah. Do you, do you remember when we went to Seattle together? Um, for that- we could like run out of the food that we bought. And it was mm-hmm. like, all right, your lunch today is going to be. String cheeses, fruit cups, Nutri-Grain bars, Go-Gurt, and Capri Sun. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> We're just trying to make it through at this point. Yeah. It also, I mean, you know, it, I think it takes a special kind to be a youth minister and to feel like what I really feel up to in this moment is drinking Mellow Yellow and vibing. Um mm-hmm. And to enjoy that and to feel like the ultimate, the satisfaction of ministry well done um, wins. And I think it highlights something important in ministry, which is that sometimes like your needs and the needs of people with whom you serve are not always perfectly aligned, which is the tough thing about especially ministry with younger people. Like I was 25 and spry when I was doing those trips. Now I'm like 30 and and grizzled. (laughs) And if I had to do one of those trips again, I would not be able to keep up. Right. And so it's like a whole host of like sixth grade energies and attention spans. Us. Yeah. I think the same sort of, like wellness arc is present every week, whether I'm on a trip or not. Like, I feel like I start off my week, like I set out my outfit, I packed my lunch, I set the coffee pot to go, I'm ready. 
And then I hit Thursday and I'm like, I haven't showered in three days. I (laughs) am going through a drive-through to get breakfast. Um, You know, I think I start off the week with really good intentions about how I'm gonna care for myself and create space for like nourishing my own being. And then Mm -hmm. things pile up to the point that the most that I can do for myself is to go to bed at the earliest opportunity and get up when I need to and make it through until I can rest again. Um, I mean, gosh, even like on say like a program year schedule or like a college schedule, there's sort of that same arc in a semester. It's like the start of the semester, we're on top of things, we're sending our emails, we're planning our meetings, we're doing everything. And you know, April hits. November hits and it's like, wow, let's just get across the finish line. <laughs> let's just coast on through. Uh, um, I wonder what it feels like um, as a person in ministry to be tending to our own needs while we are trying to tend to other people's needs. I don't know that I can answer that question because I don't know that I have experience doing that. Like, I, f- I feel like I do what a lot of people do in, in putting myself last and putting other people first. And I'm aware that that's an issue and I'm mm. working to figure out how to change that. But it feels like there's some real barriers in my like mental space to actually making that happen. Yeah. I mean, I think probably the other way to ask the question is like, I wonder what it feels like to tend to other people's needs while your own needs are neglected. Mm. It's hard to not be resentful, I think. Yeah. I'm harboring resentment right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think one of the things that I have noticed is that the pandemic has really provoked a shift in like my thinking about this, um, which is that, you know, it has not been a finite amount of time that we have endured this. Like it has gone on, it has not stopped. And it's not looking like it's going to stop anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And so the the behavior that I think feels very common to us of like, we'll just push through, we'll just push through. Like, we just got to get to the end of the, end of the week. We just got to get to the end of the semester. Has not got to get to the end of the pandemic. Yeah. And I think we keep thinking that there's an end of the pandemic, like right around the corner. Um, and that has yet to be seen. Um, and so there's been that shift. There's also been the shift that's like, I'm enduring the same thing that everyone else is enduring. And really having to wonder, what does it feel like, you know, say to be the parent of young children and having to send your kids into like schools that are not safe or wondering what it feels like 
to be working from home and stuck indoors in your place, either by yourself or with your people for six months, 12 months, 18 months, like having to endure the decision fatigue of, is it safe to go to this place? What do I need to do in order to make it feel safe? Like, what are my, what are my boundaries? Like, what are the practices that are non-negotiable for me? Like, we don't, we don't have to imagine those things. Like we're tending to people who are also experiencing them. Mm -hmm. And that is informing, I think, I hope, like the work that we're doing. I think so. I mean, it's, there's definitely, I've experienced a sense of solidarity with other people knowing that we're all making all sorts of decisions for ourselves and maybe we're not making the same decisions, but we're all having to navigate what life looks like in this moment. Yeah. I mean, for, for me personally, the beginning of the pandemic aligned with the birth of my first child and two weeks after everything shut down here, I was uh, isolated at home with a newborn baby and trying to, figure out what life looks like because of that on top of shifting expectations with my husband's work where all of our sort of parental leave planning went out the window because now we're teaching virtually so you can't actually take vacation because you rewrite all your lesson plans and you can't actually um, take vacation because we're having to figure out how to do Lent at home, Holy Week at home, but all of the work that we had put in to create space for us in our lives for this new period of, you know, forming family um, was fruitless. And that was really hard. Yeah. Fruitless in what way? Like I spent weeks putting volunteer, uh, volunteers in place to cover responsibilities while I was out and like we were no longer going to have Sunday school. And so I had to spend hours and hours of work making things possible that just didn't matter anymore. And then the terrain shifted and it's like, we did all this work and now we have to do all this work again to figure out in these circumstances what happens. Right, and in my household it was, my husband teaches high school, and so it was change all of the way that we teach once, change all of the way we teach two weeks later, change all the way we teach two weeks after that. It was like four iterations of totally rewriting the book, which then took up like the space within our family system where him having to do that much work meant that I was responsible for caretaking instead of being able to distribute that labor and then that meant no rest for anyone because he was working 80 hours and I was working on caretaking 80 hours and it was just there was no other space for anything because we felt like we had to keep going to keep things you know 
keep kids in school or keep having some sort of value in our workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some of the way that we talk about like rest and Sabbath, like can ignore that there are some responsibilities that cannot simply be tabled. Like we are responsible for one another's well beings. Um, like as ministers, but also as people who are in communities and families. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I wonder like, what has that been like for you to sort of contend with? I mean, you can do all the planning you want around having a Sabbath day or having a time to do nothing. But when your kid gets COVID and you have to stay home with them or um, you use up your days off and so you have to work on the days that you thought were going to be your days off, there's a lack of control in that. And it's not like you can say to an eight month old, I mean, I just need a, like an hour of alone time and then we'll be fresh and we'll be back to it. Um, there's ways that you can't set aside taking care of other people. And I think the same is true in, in ministry, right? Like we were responsible to caretaking the people in our congregation or our communities. Um, yeah, you know, I wonder how that informs how we think about rest or how you think about rest. Like, has it sort of given you any answers or has it provoked new questions about your trying to be a person? I mean, for, for me, it's forced me to navigate how to ask for space for myself or support for myself like how do i not always step into the void when there's a need for caretaking like yes it's easier for me to take a day off of work than my husband yes it's easier for me to take care of whatever need because i feel like i can do a better job at it um but i find myself hitting a point where I'm not healthy, like emotionally, mentally, maybe physically, like, and coming to grips with that reality and knowing that I have to figure out how to ask for help and impose on other people to create space for myself to rest. It kind of makes me scream that the way that it feels is in position. Like we're letting someone down or occupying too much space. Yeah. I mean, even the extent to which people have like genuine health crises, like genuine like mental health breakdowns or have like worked past the point of exhaustion and are literally unable 
it's like, here we go, apologizing, like feeling bad, like maybe even just genuinely too bashful or embarrassed to actually name something that's true. Even being hyper grateful, like, why do I feel the need to say thank you when someone who I'm in a relationship with or in a partnership with on a program picks up their end of the slack? Like, why, why do I feel indebted to them? Because they're playing their part. Yeah. You know, when I was doing my hospital chaplaincy internship, this just reminded me. Um, I it was a really hard it's a really hard thing to do to do a hospital chaplaincy internship um, and I had always wondered if it was going to be particularly hard for me like a hypochondriac and had sort of been like shocked the way that it was not awful the whole time and then towards the very end had a little bit of a meltdown um, which meant I had sort of like gotten past the point of hours that needed to be completed, um, but like could could not do more. Sort of like had gotten almost to the finish line and was unable to continue. And I remember like the day that that all fell apart, I was set to be the on-call person that night. And my little team of people with my supervisor, it was like, well, Ethan's on call tonight and he can't do it. And somebody needs to take that. And somebody like very graciously, very quickly offered. And I remember feeling like so bereft of like what I could say to this person to make it seem or feel okay that they were doing this thing for me. Like, like I was full flummoxed of what I could say to make it okay. And it felt like there was nothing I could say to make it okay. Mm -hmm. have you experienced the other side where you are so happy to step in and do something for someone else of course like why can we not why can we not see that in the moment and trust that other people actually are grateful for the opportunity to support us yeah i know right it's like i felt so undeserving of that kindness um and I would never say that someone else wasn't deserving of it. There's like something not clicking <laughs> up here, right? right? right. Like <laughs> I'm happy to be in community with other people and care for them and feel like I, but I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly be the, re- the receiver of that care. I'm fine with receiving in theory, but I don't actually want to do it. Or I'll just, I'm happy to receive care, but I will never need it. You will Mm -hmm. never catch me. You will never catch me lacking, (laughs) which is like just crazy talk. Like it's so wild to ever think that. Or sometimes I'll receive care or someone will create space for me and I'll fill it up with other productive, productive, like I won't actually rest. I'll go grocery shopping or, or something else that I feel needs to be done in order for the balance to be maintained. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's one of the sort of one of the classic shortcomings in ministry of ministers, which is that we are happy to be responsible for other people, 
Um, we are very unhappy for other people to be responsible for us. Very like uncomfortable with people being responsible for us. It makes me angry. What makes you angry? <laughs> Knowing that other people are responsible for me. Like, like when people step into that, one of my emotional reactions is anger. How come? I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it's anger directed at self, not at them. Like, yeah. it's like a self judgment that I should be able to do all of these things. And I'm angry at myself for not being able to do all of these things. Yeah. Remember that time that I tried to step in to help you? This is our only fight. This is our only fight. I like, I tried to step in. You told me to take a break. You said, go take a break. And I got so mad and I didn't talk to you for 48 hours. (laughs) I was like, I guess I'll not try that again. (laughs) Don't tell Sam to rest. (laughs) Well, I've also had situations where it was like, I got taken out of the game. Like, somebody else stepped in and was like, get on the bench. And it, I mean, for me, it wasn't quite anger, but it was, like, embarrassment. Yeah, it's a, I feel like it's a failure of moral character to be told, go sit down. Yeah. That's actually what I meant. I said, go sit down. I was like, you... (laughs) You are not a good person. You're not a worthy person. I mean, I had that same experience this week with my husband in the middle of the night saying I got this go back to bed and like I need to help you feed the baby which was not true but it was like I failed at being a mother and a partner because I was going to go back to sleep while he was not Mm -hmm. yeah you know this makes me wonder about our like overall vision for the kind of communities that we're trying to build and cultivate, Mm -hmm. which is like, like communities where people can be rested, well-adjusted, content, whole, and how much the way that we set up our communities sometimes is like, unidirectional care right where like the minister does the caring um, Mm -hmm. and we don't always know when to step aside to allow care to flow in other directions or even toward us and i think that's also treated oftentimes as like a failure of as a failure of nerve (laughs) or a failure of boundary (laughs) to like allow oneself to be cared for a place like it's a lack of boundaries to be a human in ministry mm-hmm. yeah you know our talking about this is helping me suss out a little bit like i don't know like how how rampant still like individualism is in ministry and in church community um, and I mean, frankly, just in life, it's like, I don't know, 
you've got like a you've got like a brand new baby and also a baby who's a little bit less than brand new and you've <laughs> and you've been born like, in living, a little bit yeah and it's like on what earth can we look at that sort of like nuclear family setup and say oh they've got it handled Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> like, how wild. I mean, that has also been one of the big angles, at least in ministry lately, is like, you know, all the families with young kids have disappeared during the pandemic. And the way that we talk about it, there's been a little bit of like, frustration or wonderment of like where have they gone what could bring them are they ever coming back yeah you know why don't they like us or whatever Mm -hmm. it's no wonder they're like out there fighting for their lives they need the space they need to rest i mean for some of them i think it's like we can't add one more thing to family life right now we're doing the things that we need to do to survive which may not be the things we would prioritize if we didn't need Mm -hmm. to make a living by that i mean like make money um like i have to go to work i have to care for my children Mm -hmm. anything that i don't have to do i'm not going to do because i don't have any more mental space yeah, what I'm not going to do is go to the the Zoom happy hour <laughs> for your right. parents. Yeah. And we we interpreted that as a failure to meet their needs. Yeah. When maybe what they need is just the space to be. Right. Or like a babysitter. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I wonder as we're cresting into this third year of pandemic, like, I don't know, what do you see or imagine for our communities being places where people are able to rest within them? Like, I I wonder where you see sort of like the next edge of like mutuality in care being. I mean, in my community, we've named that one of the greatest needs for our people right now is casual social encounters that like they don't need to come to a program. They need to just have time where they can be with other people without an agenda to rebuild a sense of fellowship and community. And so creating spaces where we're just in the presence of other people is something that we're focusing on spending our time and energy on rather than like let's try to get people to come to bible study let's try to get people to come to a picnic where we can enjoy each other yeah um, yeah come sit in our front yard in a laundry mm-hmm. and hang out I think I wonder if there feels like something about like the propriety and boundary of family life that feels untransgressible 
like we sort of maintain this like to each their own family life model inside the church sometimes. And I wonder what it would be like to be able to like commit commit to one another in a way that maybe felt itchy <laughs> in this particular yeah. culture, you know? Like feels very like, well, they're doing their thing over there. It's like, what if instead of asking people to show up to us, we like made a commitment to them just to offer them care. To to be intimately involved in the lives of people yeah. who we claim to care about. Yeah. I think we see that happen in a lot of informal ways in the church, right? Like people having sort of like adoptive aunts and uncles. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe this is like particularly a failing of the white church, um, but there feels like some sort of steel, steel fenced boundary around the lives of families. I don't know. Well, I think we have to wrap. Do you have a final word or thought for us? I've just been thinking a lot about like getting over it. Like just trying to make that my mantra, like get over it, get over feeling like you're imposing on people or get over the need to have an empty sink and clean floors. Like the standards that I've set for myself are my own standards and no one else's. And my uh, imagining that I'm making myself part of people's lives in a way that they don't want is not true. And so, like, how can I get over that sort of self-centeredness in order to allow space for the sort of rest and other things that I need to be a, a full human? Yeah, get over it. Get over it. <laughs> get over it. You know, that reminds me of one of my big sort of like, one of my my pastoral tools lately has been like recognizing when I'm talking to myself in a way that I would never talk to one of my people. Um, And I've noticed that I I have been saying to some people recently, like, hey, hey, like, hey, there's a lot of people around you that want to help you. Like, I know that you feel like a burden. You're not. There are a lot of people that care about you and that want to help you. And it feels so easy to say it to somebody else and so wrong to say it to me. And I've just been trying to like step outside of myself a little more and and talk to myself like I am one of my charges. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can start believing it. The first step for me would like not feeling physically ill when I hear that to myself. Like if I just felt a little bit more comfortable with the notion Mm-hmm. that people want to help me that would be an improvement I can name probably 15 people that I know that want to help you the same is true for you ah! <laughs> <laughs> alright we have to go this is too much James said that too much. <laughs> um, well Sam thank you so much for being on
Thanks for having me. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye.